0: pray together. Father, we're thankful for that scripture. That scripture describes a day that's coming soon where we we will all be together with you. It involves a message of changed lives, message of true worship. Guide us as we look at the Elijah message here today to see how the Elijah message plays into that final fulfillment that Isaiah talked about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't usually do this This paper typically sits out there in the driveway for a while, uh, sometimes even until Sunday morning. But as I was walking out to my gate to open up the gate, because I'm the one who's the electronic gate opener, right? I'm the one who does it, it's it's a manual. I saw this headline, it says, for many drought has little effect. Record Searchlight, Saturday, June 7, 2014 says, Los Angeles, most Californians surveyed say the statewide drought has had little or no effect on their daily lives. Now this is coming from Los Angeles. So to say that most Californians based on one section, I don't know if that's accurate. And a majority opposed the suspension of environmental protections or large scale public spending to boost water supplies. A USC Dornsife Los Angeles Times poll has found. Although 89% characterized the drought as a major problem or crisis, only 16% say it has affected them to a major degree. Despite widespread news coverage on the drought, one of the worst in recent decades, the state's major population centers have largely escaped severe mandatory rationing. Even agriculture, which as California's biggest water user is hit hardest by the drought, has partially compensated for reduced water delivery by pumping more groundwater. That has softened the drought's effect on many, apparently blunting the desire for drastic remedies and big spending on water projects. While Central Valley congressmen and some agribusiness interests have blamed environmental regulations for worsening the water shortages, those polled cited a much broader range of causes. Topping the list was a lack of rain and snow and people using too much water followed by insufficient storage and climate change, they're really blaming larger forces here. They're really blaming larger forces here. Imagine that. Imagine if we had not just a drought during the summer months and people are blaming larger forces here because of the drought in the summer months, But imagine if we had three and a half years of no water, period. Would that headline change? Maybe to something like this, three and a half years and no rain. For many, drought has a major effect. Imagine what that would be like. Not just your summer months. I would imagine wells would dry up. Uh, there'd, be, there'd be all kinds of problems. Streams that normally flow with water past your house or somewhere near you, would well they would be eventually we get to the point where they would dry up. Nothing would be coming from, Lake Sha- from Shasta Lake or from up in the Trinities. We find that there would be a major catastrophe, would there not? Not just here in the North State, but all the way down to where that pole was taken and people would take a different pole and they would say, This is a major problem, you have to do something about it. Three and a half years. No rain during the summer, no rain during the fall, no rain during the winter months, no rain during the spring, no rain. And you walk out on your backyard there and everything crunches below you there and fires become to be rampant, you find a major catastrophe. If you can somehow bottle that feeling up, then you can read it back into the text and the story of Elijah and get some of the impact of that man's prayer and that nation's apostasy. And so three and a half years, Elijah, we know his name means Yah is God or the Lord is God. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. (laughs) Maybe we could do the opposite. Pray that it would rain and maybe even say, Lord, is there anything we're doing to hinder that? When somebody sells water and makes a huge profit off of it, maybe there's a heart issue around the water issue. But he prophesied there would be no rain. And he was a true prophet, and so there was no rain, but that message that he prophesied literally drove him into the wilderness. He had to go into the wilderness, and James says that it didn't rain for three and a half years. How long did he spend out there? Well, we know he had a brook. You know, there was a spring. Ravens, we find the idea there. We also find the widow. But there is a period of time where this prophet has to find himself out in the wilderness. We know he confronted the 450 false prophets. There was a fiery ordeal, if you will. And then he had a fiery chariot that eventually took him to heaven. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful name. It says the Lord is God. And that was his message to everybody. And I remember reading this story a little while back, and as I was reading it this week again, just imagining what it would be like after the three and a half years, after you find the false prophets have been confronted, after you find there's King Ahab, and there you start seeing a cloud the size of a man's hand coming as you pray earnestly. Not once we find on record more than one time especially we find him bowing down and, and praying and he's sending a servant out there and finally he see the servant sees a cloud the size of a man's hand and then he rushes down and he runs before the king literally preparing the way saying you better get on out because it's going to it's the sound of a heavy rain is coming wonderful story faithful man a name that means something wonderful that the lord is God. But there were lots of key events in that story. I didn't even cite on this slide. You find the messenger in those days was Elijah. His message was return to the Lord. His very name echoed that message. The Lord is God. Every time you would say Elijah, the Lord is God. But they didn't believe it in their hearts. And it had environmental effect. Three and a half years of no rain. The fate of the messenger was he was literally driven into the wilderness. Remember how people sought his life? He thought he was the only one. And what was the state of Israel? The so-called people of God during that time. Apostasy. They were not recognizing that the Lord was God. 450 of their own prophets prophesied on behalf of Baal. And he was called, Elijah was called, a troubler of Israel. Imagine that. Imagine delivering a message that calls people back to the Lord God that tells them that things that are happening in our world are not just because of the environment, but because of the heart, the hearts that are in that environment. And then it gets so bad where they say, you're the cause of all of our environmental troubles. And you literally have to flee because of the message that you truly believed and you faithfully proclaimed you picture yourself being elijah our young people have a maze on the back there it says uh, you know after elijah delivered his message imagine him trying to you know getting out of the city and and going out to the wilderness find your way out of that maze you know but imagine yourself there you are you've delivered the message no rain is going to come king and you know that king if he had his will, will he would kill you and so you flee go out to the wilderness god takes care of you And that message of Elijah is said to come again. That's where we left off last time. It says, for behold, the day comes burning like an oven, not because of our drought, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, what's the name? The Lord, those of us who recognize the Lord is God at the end of time, at least in Malachi's mind, that's when it's happening. You who fear his name, the Lord, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go forth leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And the day, in the, on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, there is a day coming when God will act. He will intervene in earth's history. But are we ourselves, his faithful messengers, preparing the way for that? It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to write 28 fundamental beliefs down in a booklet and say, I believe this, but are we his messengers telling the world that there is a heart issue that you have that only God can solve? And then it goes on and says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel, that worship of the most high God, remember that. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And so that message of Elijah that said, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Why are you wavering between two opinions? Follow the Lord if he's really the Lord. Otherwise, quit pretending and follow Baal. That message will come again because this is written after the time of Elijah. And it says, before the great and awful day of the Lord, the Elijah message will come again. In Malachi's mind, and a lot of Old Testament writers, that message prepared the way for the Messiah. But notice Elijah coming there, right at the end of the Old Testament. There's that monument, the Sabbath being remembered there. There's the relationships we talked about, them being restored. That Elijah message that comes will restore all things and prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. Jesus. And so in Malachi, you had Moses, if you want to think of him as being older up on the mountain, and Elijah, who was taken up in that fiery chariot. But Moses and Elijah, they both had that message of the coming Messiah. They both were preparing the way for the Lord. And that's really where the Old Testament ends. And you find speculation in the nation of Israel as to who, is Elijah really gonna come? Is there another prophet like Moses? Moses? You find those sentiments in the New Testament, and this is where it comes from. It's because the last prophecy we find here is one of the Elijah message, is one where it says Moses would come as well. But they missed the Son of Righteousness restoring all things in that. They looked to just the human fulfillment. They had their own little timeline and everything, but Jesus didn't fit it quite the way they expected. And so they missed him as the Messiah. So Elijah, Jesus said, had already come. They didn't even recognize it. They had their timeline. They were so tunnel vision on that. That's why when it comes down to prophecy, guys, think about it. We don't know everything, do we? It says in Daniel that at some point, th- the wise will understand, yes, and we want to shine as stars, but we don't know everything. God is the only one who knows everything. As a body, we can say this is how far we've come, but we don't know the future except for what God has revealed to us because they had the timeline. Elijah had to come first. Jesus came and of, of really questionable birth, if you will, almost seemingly born out of wedlock, birth. We know who Abraham's daddy is, but we don't know who your daddy is. And so we have these type of languages there, and then we have the timeline. Elijah's supposed to come first. We haven't seen Elijah yet, so you can't be the one. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew 17. While he was yet speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the clouds, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Amazing, isn't it? Voice comes from heaven. Not everybody hears the words exactly, though. Some thought when God thunders from heaven, they just think it's plain old thunder. Some natural phenomenon. But here, his disciples asked him later, transfiguration. Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And he answered and said, Elijah indeed cometh and shall restore all things. That's right out of Malachi. But I say unto you, Elijah is come already. And they knew him not, but did unto him whatsoever they would. Even so shall the Son of Man also suffer of them. Then understood the disciples that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. John is the Elijah message that prepared the way for not King Ahab or the earthly kings, but for the king of kings. And Jesus says, Elijah already came. It was John. Then who is Jesus? Well, he's the greater Moses. The angel himself said, he shall go before his face in the spirit and power of Elijah in Luke 1 to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to walk in the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. That was what was spoken about John the Baptist. That John literally will preach the Malachi message that was prophesied, the Elijah message. Did he preach it? Well, we find his ministry roughly about three years long. And if you look up here, you can find where it kind of is amongst all of these different ideas here. Yet the martyrdom of Stephen before that. Here's 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. They believe that's linked to the ministry of John. And then later on, it leads up to the crucifixion. So John is over here, and we know that he dies during the time of, of Jesus. Jesus is out, prophes- uh, out ministering and all of that. But he has about a three-year ministry, people believe. From the time he's out there in the wilderness, the time where Jesus, he says, he must increase and I must decrease, and he points people to the lamb, keeps pointing them to Jesus. But a three-year ministry in the wilderness. Uh, wasn't driven there. In fact, when he came back to society and, and there he was rebuking the pagan practices of, some, of a ruler, He gets beheaded for it. But as John's ministry wanes, Jesus picks up that and continues it on. John's ministry was a message of repentance. The angel said it would restore all things. Well, how can you restore all things when you're just telling people, turn to God? Isn't it that simple? If someone's heart is turned to God and says, God, take control of this mess. It's out of control. Can't he restore all things? Can't he make the thief, me, who stole, steal no more? Can't he make the one who had a relationship with his father to the point where he would literally want to knock him down, like I talked about last week, now we're friends. We love each other like a father and son should. Can't that change of heart accomplish everything else that was prophesied it's the beginning of it for sure and john was calling in the repentance telling people even in the church saying well he said things i haven't said calling people vipers preaching to the church and saying you're poisonous you need a heart change couldn't that help restore all things Wasn't that an Elijah message? Wasn't that what Malachi was talking about? That if we would look inside and see the poison that is truly inside of us, we would want someone to change us. And if he changed us, then I believe it would restore all things, or at least begin to. They said that he was in the spirit and power of Elijah. And we know from about A.D. 70, 27 to 30, about three years he preached that message. He prepares the way for Jesus and he finds himself a martyr, a witness to Jesus. So John was Elijah. We find Jesus in the book of Matthew is referred to over and over again as fulfilling and being the greater Moses. But my question to you is, didn't Elijah literally come? In Matthew 17, when they, when they saw Jesus transfigured in glory just beautifully There, clothed in the garb of heaven, shining like the sun. Weren't there two people there? Yeah, there were. It says, And behold, there talked with him two men, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, notice that, which he was about to accomplish where? At Jerusalem. What would happen then? He would go to Jerusalem and be crucified, would he not? So they're speaking to Jesus about him dying. Can you imagine the encouragement of the Lord? Here's Elijah who pointed everybody to the Lord, the Lord himself, and now the Lord is in human flesh and he's, he's got that human flesh and we find that, humanly speaking, would you feel like going to Jerusalem, being betrayed, being spit upon, having the very people that you've wanted to gather be, be under your wings just betray you? And so Elijah there encourages him. Jesus feels like he's the only one. He can remember Elijah and Elijah points him to the cross that's the way we're not told exactly how they they encouraged him but it says they spoke of his decease which he was about to accomplish at jerusalem they appeared they encouraged jesus to go forward with his mission they said you're going to die on the cross and can you imagine the value of that you got moses who's been resurrected who literally the lord fought for his body in the book of jude there what's satan going to do if jesus loses at the cross take him right out right and then what's he going to do if to elijah Why should those people even be in heaven anyway? It's because of Jesus. Physical reminders that we are saved and we are the exception. you, You did something exceptional for us. You took us right up into heaven. We want you to succeed. And the way to succeed is to go to the cross. I don't know if they said that, but it's something in the text tells us they talked about his death. And somehow that encouraged Jesus. So that message, that Moses and Elijah message will come again and prepare the way it will point us to the the, to jesus himself and especially point us to the cross and so since moses and elijah appeared and pointed jesus and us to the need for jesus to die on the cross then what should be the foundation of our message if he didn't die on that cross then he would not have resurrected You, you find that if he wasn't the perfect sacrifice he dies on the cross And that's it. Say he died on the cross and that was it. Of what value was that death? He didn't fulfill what he said then. But we know he did. We know that he did die on the cross and therefore since he died on the cross and was resurrected, then he is the means of our salvation. And so the message of Elijah will come again pointing to the cross of Christ, pointing us to the fact that through that we will have restored hearts, through that we will have a changed world, through that, we will discover that this whole business of they're really blaming larger forces here can be changed if the world was, was to, to see Jesus. And many people have linked this whole Elijah message of Malachi to other parts of the Bible. But I'm gonna go ahead and do a parallel here and show you where, why I believe John the Baptist and Jesus really were preaching the same message. You find the messenger Elijah, the messenger John, the messenger Jesus, right? Message was return to the Lord. Message was return, repent, or return, and follow who? The Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God in John chapter 1, verse 29, who takes away the sins of the world. He pointed them right to Jesus. And we find Jesus comes along, and he's encouraging them to eat his flesh and drink his blood, to literally accept his death for them. Accept him as the Lamb. Didn't they all work together then? Same type of message, just different components. Environmental effect, three and a half years of no rain. We find at Jesus' death, there's earthquake and darkness. And later on, there's three and a half years of of, dis- of some terrible mayhem in Jerusalem when it's destroyed. The fate here, this guy is driven to the wilderness. This guy here is dead. He ends up dying. Jesus ends up dying. The state of Israel, apostasy, apostasy, apostasy. Elijah's called a troubler. They asked John, who are you anyway? <laughs> in other words, who gave you this authority to preach? So they even Anyway, picked on him. And then look how badly they picked on Jesus. I mean, they literally thought he was possessed. You're demon-possessed. You heal by the power of Beelzebub. Duration of the message of John was uh, of Elijah, we find roughly he was in the wilderness for three and a half years. Was that the total duration? We're not sure. Uh, pr- but that one part of the crucial message, we do find, was roughly three and a half years of no rain. Then the three years of preaching of John, three and a half years of preaching of Jesus. It's pretty clear that they all are following parallel courses. But will that course come again? Yes, it will. All right, faithful Bible investigators, Isaiah chapter 2. But you're going to find the answer to that one is the same, young people, as the scripture reading that Jerah read. Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now shall come to pass in the latter days. When? Latter days, or last days. According to Hebrews chapter 1, that has been since the time of the cross. It's the time of Jesus. Who God in these latter days, or last days, has spoken to us by His Son. Okay, so that's, that's pointing forward to a time after Jesus. I would think that we would qualify for that. And later on we find more evidence that we are living in the last days. So now it shall come to pass in the last days in our day that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. We will return to the Lord. We will follow him. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We are still in the midst of a world that we have war, so therefore this isn't fulfilled yet. It's still coming, and we are part of it. Because it's after the cross and before peace in the world really reigns, so there we find ourselves. This is for us. It's talking about a revival of true godliness, a revival where hearts are changed, where people follow the ways of the Lord. And it mentions the law going out from Zion. Hebrews talks about the church being Mount Zion. So this is talking about the church truly following God at the end, delivering a message to the nations and encouraging them to follow God. So are you following God yourself? If you're not, why not? I've had a whole lot more peace since I became a Christian than any other time before. I mean, I could sit there and watch the sunset as a someone who wasn't a Christian, but, but really deep down there was something missing. This message is what was missing. And so Malachi 4, Isaiah 2, you find the ministry of Jesus and Eli- uh, and of John. All of that's really pointing forward to a last day fulfillment. And points us to Revelation 14, where it says, I saw another angel, a messenger. Are we one of his messengers? Fly in the midst of heaven, having the eternal gospel or eternal good news. Who did Jesus give the good news to proclaim to the world to? Matthew 28. Didn't he tell us? Matthew 28. go into all the world, right? Preaching the good news. Eventually we'll baptize them in, the, them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so we find he gave it to the church. So whereas it does picture an angel, that angel symbolizes God's messengers going, his true messenger, you or me, going with this message to the world. To proclaim to them that dwell on the earth, hey, look at that, to every nation. Didn't Isaiah talk about that? Every nation. Tribe and tongue and people say with a great voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made the heaven, the earth, the sea and the fountains of waters we're going to call people back to the lord god who made everything if the lord is god follow him if Baal, and follow him why halt go between two opinions follow the lord same type of message at the end and the sabbath it's beautiful the sabbath is something that's wonderful it's something the world needs especially as it's in jesus my soul needs more than a respite i need a sanctuary in time don't you I crave to hear the words of honor and commendation that are oft drowned out by the noise and commotion of industry and labor and lost in the loneliness of abandonment. I'm tired of feeling alone. I'm tired of feeling worn out. I'm tired of the world. I need rest. In the face of stress and suffering and loneliness, I'm summoned to sanctify and make holy a day of delight. We know we can't really do that, but we can remember it that it is holy. If we ignore the misuse or misuse today, then we are far less human than we could be. It is like the smell of an evergreen wafting with a cool spring breeze. Isn't that what the Sabbath is for you? Isn't that what the message of people returning to the Lord who made everything? Shouldn't that be what it's about? Refreshing to people? And it says it makes us more human. This person doesn't keep Seventh-day Sabbath, he keeps Sunday he says that somehow it makes us more human. How could that be? Because every week it should turn us to the Lord who died for us, who loves us, who made us. It lifts up Jesus. And so that's the message of Revelation 14, a message that restores the hearts to the Father because that Father or that Son will accept the gospel and that will give a good relationship, a, a, a forever relationship between the two. And then it points to the creator, Jesus Christ. It restores the law of Moses, just like Malachi talked about, just like Isaiah talked about. It talks about the monument of oneness, the Sabbath. It points out a counterfeit oneness message in the book of Revelation. There's a counterfeit oneness. Let's all come together and let's worship this other way. That's what what happens in Revelation. And that message is based upon fear. If you do not go along with it, then you will be sentenced to death. And so that's a counterfeit oneness message. You would have a false Sabbath, relationships that are truly not that meaningful, that really deep down are not based upon Jesus. And the relationship is so tentative because it's based upon fear. That's what you have as an alternative at the end. So I believe the Lord is God. i want to follow him. I don't wanna follow that false counterfeit message at the end. And then Revelation 14 is very clear find the three angels' message goes on and warns the world of a flood of fire, saying to everybody, don't go that route. Turn to God and live. Same thing as we find Elijah preached. It's the same thing that we should be preaching. At least on paper, we have it down as a Seventh-day Adventist church, but are we delivering that message to the world who needs it? If the Lord is God, follow him. And who is the Lord? In Revelation fourteen four. The Lamb. It says they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Wow. Of all professing Christians, Seventh-day Adventists should be foremost in uplifting Christ before the world. The proclamation of the third angel's message calls for the presentation of the Sabbath truth, the beautifulness of it. But this truth with others, m- including the message, is to be proclaimed. But the great center of attraction, Christ Jesus, must not be left out. Otherwise, you have a Jewish Sabbath. People are keeping the Sabbath other places and they're not Christians. Aren't you a Christian? If you're a Christian, then the Sabbath takes on a new meaning. So she says, Christ must not be left out of that. He must be lifted up. It's at the cross of Christ that mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss each other. The sinner must be led to look to Calvary. How much time are we spending looking at Calvary? With the simple faith of a little child, you must trust in the merits of the Savior accepting his righteousness, believing in his mercy, trusting that our Father has done everything he can to bring us home. So Moses, Elijah, the prophets, they all pointed to Jesus. They all were saying he's coming, and now here we are after he's come. Are we saying he's coming again? If we are, then that's the Elijah message being proclaimed again. And then you find there we are again, down here. It's our turn. They all did it. And you remember, Jerusalem was destroyed. Remember they had two or, two or three years after you find one of the generals left? The Christians had, they say, around three-year period, but I can only nail down two to three years, depending on how you add it together, where the Christians had one final chance to leave Jerusalem, but also, if you're going to leave and flee to the wilderness, what are you going to do beforehand? What didn't you tell the people? Those women are going to be ripped open and their babies taken out. Those people are going to be starving to death and having drought and thirst beyond what you can ever imagine. Those people in that city, I mean, if I truly cared, wouldn't I tell them one last time? Even if they locked me up like a crazy old prophet, which some tradition says they did lock somebody up, I would still tell them, you must leave. This is your only chance. And so we find there was that two or three year period and now it's our turn at the end of time. Think about it. Think about it, the world gets really bad. Here we are, we're the messengers. We tell people to worship God. We find we tell people that the, the religion of the world's an apostasy. You need to turn back to God because if you don't, you're gonna end up literally worshiping Satan. I mean, that's not gonna be popular to preach, is it? Man. And then people start seeing the environmental effects of, of going along with a masquerade where somebody appears in the Middle East claiming to be Christ. Jesus said, watch out for that. And has a ministry and sucks people into that ministry and begins uniting the wor- world and, and into its own oneness. Plagues begin, we find later on, begin to fall. Disasters, Matthew 24 talks about. We don't know how long the ministry is going to be at the end, but it does talk about in Daniel, blessed are those who make it at the 1335. And there, there is a blessing attached to us enduring at the end. Maybe we'll be called troublers of Israel. Maybe there'll be 450 prophets against me. I don't know. Maybe against you. And then maybe we'll be driven to the wilderness or we'll die or we'll be imprisoned and suffering until Jesus comes. And as Jesus comes, that cloud the size of a man's hand appears, just like in Elijah's day. And we're all, wherever we're at, Lord has told me that more than likely I'll be dead. But at any rate, wherever we're at, we will see that. We will see the Lord coming in the clouds. And so that Elijah message prepares the way for his return. We must proclaim it while we can. Because it's not business as usual, people. This world is not going to go on forever. The things are going to begin to fall upon this nation from east to west. And here we are at a crucial point in earth's history, could we tell people there's a message of love that can truly unite your heart with God? And then maybe when we're given that last period of time, I'm not sure how much, Kenneth Cox says we are given about three-year period. Before we evacuate, could we give one last call to the people and say, hey, you can't stay with this. If you do, it's total destruction. True followers of Christ will be there in the, at the end. They'll see all the calamities taking place. And when these things begin to take place, behold, look up, lift up your head, for the time of your redemption draws nigh. Because wherever you're at at that point after proclaiming that message, and wherever I'm at, that cloud gets bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, we start seeing it, what, what it really is. And it's this cloud of angels and the people that we've reached out to and that have reached out to us, you know, and there's this resurrection and we all see Jesus coming. We'll go with Jesus. We won't sing the song of Moses or these different other songs. We'll sing, a, a really, in Revelation, a song of salvation. Angels can sing holy, 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 but we'll sing a song of salvation that nobody can sing. Isn't that worth it? Isn't your message beautiful? Isn't my the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church something that can really change people? Isn't it not really... Our message, it's Jesus' message. We don't really have a hold on it. It has a hold on us. If it has a hold on us. We can't help but tell everybody, Jesus is coming. Prepare to meet him. He'll give you true peace. He'll show you what true love is all about. He'll give you that forever friendship with people all around you that you'll never be able to experience on your own. And then you won't be able to do anything but sing praises to him. The angels will sing Holy but you'll have a song that they won't even be able to sing. Our closing song talks about that. It talks about the angels and how they're, they're going to pretty much fold their wings as we sing praises to God. I invite you to stand. Imagine that you're there. Imagine the message has been delivered. We're with Jesus, and we're singing this song to Him.
1: such as we have never never felt the joys that our salvation to this land so See? Sinner free holy, holy is what the angels see, and I expect to have
0: Father in heaven, we're thankful that we can sing that song now. Though we don't know exactly what the words will be when we do see you, there are some words. It'll be about Jesus. It'll be about his faithfulness. It'll be about how he brought us through trials. But ultimately, it'll be about how we followed the lamb wherever he went. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to follow you. Help us to proclaim the message that not only did Elijah proclaim, but John proclaimed, that you proclaimed, and all your true followers who follow the lamb will proclaim. Help us to proclaim it no matter what happens and no matter where we are at. Guide us until that day when we see the cloud the size of a hand's man get bigger and bigger and we see you and we sing holy, 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 along with the angels. But then we sing the song of salvation. May those words be in our hearts then as to what they exactly will be. Until then, we trust you and we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: To be under the Jewish law because it says in the Bible, Woe to them who say,